Welcome to Nature Backed Podcast of Single Earth. In this series, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarma Virki, and in this episode, I'm talking with Nina Gunel from Open Ocean. Enjoy the show. Hey there, I'm Merit. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we are building a nature-backed currency to empower you to fight against climate change and biodiversity loss. Sign up at Single.Earth and be among the first to switch to a truly sustainable, nature-based economy. And don't forget to join the discussion around climate change and biodiversity loss on our Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Hi, Nina. Thanks for joining us at the Nature Backed. Hi, Tarno. Thank you for having me. You're coming from Open Ocean. Uh, most people in Helsinki know what Open Ocean is, but tell, tell to our listeners how their fund was, uh, you know, set up and what's the logic between behind the Open Ocean. Definitely. Uh, so it, we were founded in 2009, uh, and in the beginning, the founders were from MySQL and MariaDB, both database companies that are used by a large majority of uh, software uh, across the globe. Uh, so they, uh, they were the in, both investors and founders and operators that then founded uh, Open Ocean. And because of that, from the really beginning, the focus has always been B2B software that is uh, on the surface. It needs to be super easy to use and easy to love for the end user. But then when looking beneath the hood, there should be a technical uh, differentiation. So because of that, often the founders need to have some more technical background uh, in the companies that we invest. So it can be in data infrastructure, artificial intelligence, or uh, uh, intelligent software automation, for example. So a lot, a lot of kind of the deep software focus. Exactly. Maybe uh, not really on the academic research side, mm. but the stage that is immediately after that. Mm. But MySQL was a database company, right? And uh, it was sold to Sun, if I remember correctly, Uh, or Oracle. Oracle, yes. Oracle. Or was it so that it was sold to Sun first and then Sun was sold to Oracle or something like that? Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) In my understanding, it was sold to Oracle. Okay, Um, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember as a journalist covering those sales stories at at the time years and years ago. The... um, you said that the, these are the focus areas. Which uh, which uh, stage you invest in the companies? Uh, we invest in late seed or A stage. Okay. Uh, so when a company has half a million to one million in ARR, uh, and we invest across Europe. Okay, uh, not the US or Asia or. No, no, no. we uh, we have uh, currently one in uh, one or two investments in US, uh, but our core focus area is mm. in Europe. Okay. Uh, there can be companies that have originated in Europe and then moved to the US, of course. Okay. And typical tickets are? Uh, d- from one to five million. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, not 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 the uh, ch- you know money you have typically have in your pocket, but already kind of serious capital in the companies. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so there have typically been somebody who has uh, invested before us uh, when it was more towards an idea. We come in at the stage when the unit economics are at the stage that you actually can then uh, scale the company to the next stage. Okay, cool. The um, How does the the kind of the whole, you know, climate green ESG sector play into the kind of traditionally data heavy or data focused uh, investment fund? Yeah, that's a super great question. And immediately when people are thinking about it, you wouldn't maybe see the connection being being that dra- dramatic, but actually it is because there is 
uh, all of the software that we're using today are using a lot of resources, uh, i.e. then electricity that gives them GHG emissions. So in that sense, it's even like on the level of our uh, portfolio companies, we are trying to help them think about that. How can you build your software in a way that it would require less less resources and for uh, and uh, have less GHG emissions, for example. And that is just one example of uh, when looking at the ESG umbrella, there are a lot of things that can be done inside of it. It's pay, pay equity, it's diversity, it's then, then climate. So that is the main thing that we see that we are uh, coming in at a stage when the company normally don't have these practices already in place. Uh, and they could survive probably going to like 50 or 100 employees, uh, not having them in place, but building the foundation from the start both to make uh, then a positive uh, positive handprint of what is happening for the people working at the company in the company, but also then outside and not having a negative footprint. Mm, absolutely. Mm. The the thing I have come across lately is the fact that how much uh, is uh, Bitcoin and uh, crypto kind of classical proof of work cryptocurrencies? How much they actually use energy? That's exactly. Uh, that's stunning. It's stunning. Mm. Yeah, you, you kind of would think that uh, it's just software. What can it do? But uh, it's so slightly more than just software. Exactly. Uh, is I mean, is Bitcoin the kind of the extreme? I would expect that in the data data world, the typical things are still much much smaller than Bitcoin. Definitely, definitely. Mm. Uh, that it's uh, and it's it's more of a especially at the stage when uh, where our companies are now uh, or when at the stage when we invest uh, in absolute numbers it's quite small a uh, small what we're talking about so it's 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 more about that how do we build it towards that then when there are a unicorn and uh, and have one of thousands of customers uh, that are using the software daily that at that stage they wouldn't be going even closer towards the direction where bitcoin is today mm. uh- how much are they ready to listen? Sorry? How much are they ready to listen? Listen. I mean, you know, typically if you're a 20 person company and then investor starts to speak to you about, uh, you know, being ready to be 2000 person company and set, set up the processes. I mean, so I, I, I would say that, uh, it's getting better each year. Okay. Uh, that now we're probably at the stage when, Really, nobody uh, like in their personal life have not heard about ESG and how important it is. And it's actually then driving. Uh, there's a lot of research also sh- uh, say, uh, showing how it's driving business success. Uh, so it's uh, also like purely in, in financial terms. So in, in that sense, I think we're at the right stage for starting to do it, uh, larger improvements. Uh, in the past, we have uh, mainly uh, how we have... Uh, work together with portfolio companies is that we have this yearly ESG survey uh, that we have also then distributed portfolio companies where they can see how they track uh, towards the other companies and also what improvements we think there could be on, on a, like uh, just general suggestions. Uh, so that is one thing. And the other is then uh, the work that we do in, in board meetings. Uh, but actually now, because we have realized that it's it's still quite, as you said, hard to, you have you have a lot of different things to think about as an entrepreneur and ESG is probably not highest on your agenda at the stage when uh, when we come in. So that's why we have now uh, really uh, put down work on making this framework, uh, having about, uh, I think it's 20 different either KPIs, policies 
or the different actions you need to take. And at which stage, which should you do before your 10 people, 10 to 20, and so on. Uh, so, and actually then resources behind this that, for example, for the GHG emissions, we don't think it makes sense to start uh, calculating how many pens are you using and how much emissions are that uh, giving out. But actually we have made this Excel uh, helping out with, with those big, uh, big areas, which, is, uh, which are around storing data, uh, which is around, uh, and, and a few two or three other uh, areas just to help them to make it as pragmatic as possible, but ensuring that when you know even those numbers or know what is your uh, pay equity gap in the company now, then you can start actually making those uh, improvements in the future. Mm. If the, the startup is listening to us and they are not the uh, you know open ocean uh, investee, the, uh, what would be the kind of your tip for the first uh, kind of ESG steps, where should they first look at to to maybe start setting up something like this when they are in their, you know, 10, 20 or 50 people and uh, know that at some point they have to think about it, but haven't yet had the time or the energy to do that? Yeah, uh, that's a super great question. And I, I would maybe for software companies that are around uh, 20 uh, or 15 to 20 people, uh, the things that I would start with having is, is really these uh, basic policies like code of conduct, uh, having a liability insurance in place, occupational safety and health. Uh, having those uh, uh, already at that stage are super important. Uh, and then maybe things that you can start already uh, trying to improve on are probably around pay equality, uh, equity uh, and also board diversity. Uh, those are quite simple things at that stage uh, to already start at least thinking about and if uh, b- because for example when we come in it can be that a company is uh, maybe like six persons uh, six persons team uh, so at that stage it may be that they are all male uh, in the company and the full board uh, is is only males but that is something to think about when you start then recruiting the for example, for the management team, that you should, of course, never uh, take a woman or somebody with uh, uh, somebody from from another. Uh, how, how would I say it? It's like uh, from from a diversity group mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they are part of that group. Uh, but if you have the possibility to at least in the beginning of starting the sourcing to ensure that you have from from dif- people from different backgrounds, that is uh, always super super helpful of course and uh, you know in the software sector you do see the, you know those six person male startups you know every now and then yeah it's not, and uh, it's some not of them may be growing to like then maybe 50 people uh, mm. and still having one or two two women and that is that is not the uh, setup in universities for example nowadays mm. uh, that of course it's in the past it was maybe but not anymore mm. So things are changing, and 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 I think Finland and the Nordics in general are probably you know one of the first places to lead that change. Yeah. To me, uh, reading that Finland is the what's five or six years in a row the happiest nation on the planet Earth, it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand the welfare logic. I understand the the kind of equality and uh, measures like that, but they publish it as a happiness index. Yeah. And yes, you are smiling here on the when we're recording this podcast. But a typical Finn is not the you know 
maybe the happiness is inside, but you rarely see it outside. I would agree uh, that it's it's probably a bit of of the same as uh, that. I don't know, remember exact saying, but that you are not allowed to show that you have money in Finland, for example, that people are driving quite old cars instead of, uh, of getting a Ferrari, or although you would have the money for it because it's not considered socially acceptable. Uh, so maybe it's the same thing that we keep the happiness a bit inside and, and then uh, uh, then on the outside show a more of a neutral mm. feeling. Mm. But I, I thought the, the yeah the on the background of the kind of the whole ESG thinking and the equality logic, uh, Nordics are clearly showing the example to the rest of the world. Uh, you're investing across Europe. Are you able to take the similar approach to the you know investments in Southern Europe maybe, or uh, Eastern Europe? I would say so. Yes, uh, that it's uh, it's of course you always have to. Uh, understand the current state from uh, uh, where the entrepreneurs are now. And now I'm not talking about maybe any of, of our portfolio companies, but also when we meet uh, meet entrepreneurs and it, uh, I can get uh, quite a good sense in, in the first maybe three meetings that we have with them that okay, these are quite on a different uh, thinking than, uh, than us uh, when it comes to ESG. Uh, and it's uh, for us, it's then a question during during the deal evaluation and the DAD, uh, that can we actually come to the say uh, like do we have the same values? Uh, if we don't, then probably that could, that could be a reason for not doing the investment. Mm. Uh, uh, but often the case is that actually when when speaking about these things, uh, they realize that okay that there are things that that could be improved uh, and should be improved. But then you just start from a different uh, starting point uh, mm. than with companies, for example, in Finland. Exactly. And, uh, you know, often they probably understand that it's actually good for them. It's not that yeah. they would do it purely for the investment logic. No, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, for us, it's important that we try to reduce as much as possible of, uh, that that needs to be done yearly because uh, of us being an institutional investor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that That is, for example, the reason why we now de- made this big work with the framework with uh, the upcoming yeah, SFDR regulation, uh, we we will need to track a lot of different metrics that our portfolio uh, for companies will need to track, but we want to help them do it in a pragmatic way uh, instead of them trying to spend a lot of time on it uh, just because it's it's needed by EU. Mm, hiring uh, you know employee number six to do the ESG reporting sounds a little bit no. extensive. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I think actually... Our thinking is about having a you know, responsible for ESG uh, that should be around like after 30 employees, okay. uh, but then full time maybe after 100 okay. employees. Okay. Uh, what's your take on the overall ESG? I think like a few weeks ago we had the Economist cover saying uh, how ESG is bad for the planet or something along those lines. There's been quite a lot of criticism about the ESG in general. What's your take about those? principles i i think that uh the term esg is thrown around a little too much uh, and uh myself coming from a, a very mathematical background i think the best solution for that is actually having uh having good uh framework standards ways of measuring uh and although i just said that uh our portfolio com- uh, or portfolio companies shouldn't do things just because the eu demands i 
really think that uh, EU coming with the SFDR regulation is a super good thing uh, because that allows the, us to really have a common language when talking about these things and having benchmarks to compare against. Uh, and then people easily get stuck that it's uh, you can't compare what, a, for example, a software company does to what a, an oil company does. And, and that is, of course, that is clear, uh, but that's not the question that it's, it's still... Uh, on all of the aspects of ESG, it's a, a, like a common a joint effort that we need to do. Uh, and to be able to do that joint effort, we need to have some ways of measuring it. And we need to have benchmarks per industry. So you know how to uh, strive forward. Or are you already now uh, in the top 1%? And then maybe you can focus on some other areas instead. Mm. So I understand where the negative... Uh, uh, speaking about ESG is coming, and I, I don't like this uh, greenwashing, for example. Uh, the, but it's, I think it's a necessary step. Uh, and in five or ten years, we will be at a very different stage uh, in the discussion than what we are today. Mm. And uh, you know, I think uh, also here in the podcast series, many people have uh, talked about ESG, and uh, many of them have put it in a context that, uh, in principle. The logic is all there. The mm. people are usually talking about some detail, implementation of some detail of the logic in some some system, which kind of uh, doesn't doesn't mean that the the princip- the principles are wrong. Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm. The um, how about the open ocean and the uh, investments in this field? I mean, what kind of investments have you been making in this kind of the broader ESG sector? So, so within that, it's as uh, mentioned, always something that we do during the due diligence uh, to check that if, if it's not purely like within the company, but also are they doing something, uh, something that is uh, uh, improving uh, or causing a positive uh, handprint outside of the company, or of course also ensuring that they are not causing a negative footprint. Uh, but when coming to the positive handprint, uh, for example, we have Operations One uh, in Germany uh, that are doing now digital checklists uh, on a very advanced level for manufacturing companies. Uh, and those are already now just when thinking about that instead of having this 100 page uh, paper manual that you're walking into a factory with, instead having for, for new hires that this is a, a quite dangerous step that you're doing, here's a video on how to do it. Uh, that is a super great way to ensure that you actually then don't get those uh, those injuries in the companies. Uh, so that that is that is uh, one thing. For example, then we have sunlight, as I mentioned, uh, that is uh, optimizing the uh, uh, the, the, the edge infrastructure at, uh, in companies and therefore reducing then the the energy needed. So those kind of uh, uh, indirect that is not they are not branding themselves as uh, ESG or, or mm-hmm. green companies yeah. but they have yeah. a significant uh, yeah. significant yeah. significant <laughs> impact that they, yeah. are not, they, are, they haven't been greenified yet exactly and we don't want them to be greenified <laughs> either <laughs> because, uh, yeah. but we have also looked then at companies that are more towards the uh, like for example this uh, carbon accounting uh, management systems. And uh, of those, we have been close to considered investments in, in some, uh, but we haven't found a company that would perfectly fit mm. our investment 
And over the last few years, of course, the climate and carbon accounting sector, I mean, how it's, it's been kind of a bubble. The valuations before the latest crisis were probably crazy. I'm sure it, it was probably a good choice to maybe turn down some deals last winter. Uh, m- maybe, but I, I think, yes, that uh, like the, the worst uh, or the clean tech uh, uh, bubble in, in, the 2000, uh, in the 2000s, uh, that was quite quite harsh and a lot of investors burned their fingers. Uh, uh, I don't think it's as bad uh, now, but definitely there are areas that are getting a lot of investments, although there maybe doesn't need to be that many solutions uh, in the end. So mm-hmm. we have, for example, in the mobility sector, the, the e-scooters. Uh, that there are qu- quite a, lo- a lot of brands already uh, and also within the carbon uh, accounting system. Both absolutely solutions are needed, but I think when, when doing the analysis earlier this year, uh, when uh, it's, it's almost half of uh, investments in Europe are going to these kind of solutions within, uh, uh, specifically within climate tech, mm-hmm. and that is maybe not... The, area, uh, the only area that wouldn't exactly, and it's not probably the area where the problem is the biggest. Exactly. The uh, the other thing is the carbon trading platforms. There is like a few hundreds of those these days, I think. Yep. And uh, I would hope that in the future we only have uh, one or a handful uh, that you really can trust, because mm. my problem that nowadays is that I. We definitely need this like objective third party that can handle the trading. Uh, but with the large number of traders that there there are there, it's super hard for companies to know who they can trust. Uh, so that's why, for example, Google uh, are doing their own projects uh, instead of trusting any third party. Mm. Uh, and Google, with their massive data centers, is probably a surprisingly large, uh, you know, energy consumer. Definitely, definitely, mm. and it's uh, uh, it's also a trickier. Myself being also a, um, uh, like a forest owner or my family has some some forest in the middle of Finland. Uh, so it's uh, been interesting to understand from that as- aspect how much of this, uh, when companies are, uh, are mitigating their emissions, so what they're doing often is planting trees. Uh, and how that is done in quite many cases today is actually that you take down the trees first. Uh, and that is just the worst thing you can do, because if you're looking like at the 200, 300 year sca- uh, timeline, uh, it's about the average height uh, of the forest because that is saying how much uh, emissions the forest can take in. But if you all the time take down the forest and then plant new, uh, it will take like ten years uh, before it get you get that's almost exactly anything. anything but exactly, and uh, I think that's one of the risks. Clearly, I, I was talking yesterday with somebody that there would be a good, good uh, idea to do the calculation if all the all the forests uh, under the carbon schemes would be cut down and replanted as uh, the what are these plantations of the bamboo? bamboo uh, is it bamboo? The uh, the the what's bamboo, it? Yeah. Yes, the uh, which grows really fast and uh, yes. it kind of also sequesters carbon, but uh, mm-hmm. there would be like nothing left in the nature outside those plantations. Yes. Exactly. There are a few and challenges. It, for, and for example, in Finland, it's actually, it's mandatory. If you take down forest uh, in the next year, you have to uh, put up new uh, or plant new trees because otherwise uh, you get fined. Mm-hmm. So in one way, there are already these systems in place. And, and 
it can be improved. That one thing that I have actually a friend that is working in academia, uh, doing research on how to what would happen if you would incentivize the forest owners to keep the forest for 20 years longer than today. So in Finland, we today keep it at 60, 80 years. Uh, mm-hmm. So instead of keeping it at 80, 10 years. Uh, so then, uh, sorry, 80, 100. Yeah. Uh, so so in, the, in that sense, the absolute volume on a 300-year timeline would increase. And that would be much more beneficial than actually taking down and planting trees again, mm-hmm. uh, as companies are doing. But mm-hmm. there is actually one company in Finland, Collective Crunch, that is thinking about this idea and trying to help help being the objective third party with uh, uh, doing the like satellite uh, satellite imaginary for mm. for specifically but it's it's super hard and i i think there also for this area needs to be some kind of uh, government regulation coming uh, for it really to uh, be be possible for for the companies to mm. uh, yeah succeed. the uh, single earth is working on something similar yeah. right Yes, Pro- yeah, exactly. Good stuff. The uh, and Finland being the home of the, I don't know, two or three of the top ten forestry companies of the world, it's uh, it's the right place to talk about forests. Yes, yeah, even though they go a little bit further from the data focus of <laughs> open ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, but mm. it's uh, it's something that is close to my heart. Also, uh, like on a personal level, mm. uh, uh, also I'm. Um, I'm doing this, if you know, log rolling, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, standing on a log in the water. Uh, that was something that was needed like in, in the 50s when taking the logs down the river to the fac- uh, factories. Uh, but nowadays it's just like cultural sport. Uh, so we had the Finnish championships in this in, in a few me- weeks ago. Wow. And I always try to participate in those. The Tukki... Tukkilasurheilu, yes. Tukkilasurheilu, okay. That sounds... Sounds something rather special. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, the um, something from the history. Uh, we will add in the show notes a few pictures of this kind of sports. That's uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's been done in the North America years ago in the same way with the uh, the with the forestry, big forestry sector there. Good. Um, what about uh, kind of looking maybe a few steps f- in the future with uh, open ocean? What are you? What are you guys working on now? When we have had the, I don't know, the market crash of the century, or how do they call it? And the, and we're having a war in Europe, which means the energy sector is um, in trouble, and and so on. I mean, how do you guys see the current world around you? Well, it's it's of course, especially the the war in Europe is is a lot large humanitarian crisis, and it's uh, definitely something we just uh, we, that we have talked with all of our portfolio companies that how can they both help their employees. Some of uh, them had actually employees sitting in Ukraine, so helping both their, them and their families relocate uh, from there. Uh, and, and also how it affects their business if having companies from uh, customers or potential customers from Russia and and how to uh, handle how to handle those situations. Uh, then, uh, as a longer term uh, longer term effect, uh, it's definitely both that and uh, the macroeconomic uh, small crash at least uh, that we have, have seen now. Uh, have definitely taken down the number of investments done in Europe. Uh, I was just checking the pitch book numbers 
yesterday and I think it was about 60 to 70 percent uh, of deals if extrapolating like that this first half year would be the full year so comparing to the 2021 numbers uh, in early stage but actually late stage VC hadn't decreased in either number of deals or in the amount of capital put in so that was quite interesting because actually when we have spoken with many investors they uh, late stage investors in the spring many talked about being now quite careful, mm -hmm. uh, some of them even uh, stopping investment, uh, investing to, uh, totally. Uh, of course, there are some convertible rounds that have been happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is also something that we have talked with our portfolio companies that how to ensure that they have the runway uh, that is needed to get out, uh, uh, outside of through yeah. this crisis. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and actually, all of them have a quite good situation. And, and also for us, when looking at new investments, it haven't act, uh, affected our investment activity due to the reason that we invest in these more fundamental technologies, uh, mm. which not be as affected by, uh, by a crisis as if mm. you have a software that is uh, more of a nice to have, mm. uh, for example, having a database. You're not gonna switch out your database, but you're gonna switch out your, your vitamins. Mm. The uh, at, from the other end, of course, the most he kind of headline grabbing has been the valuation of Klarna. Yes, on eighty five percent down in this crisis, which yes. uh, I mean, it kind of means two things. One is that there is a crisis, at least in some funding, and it means that at some point their valuation was, you know, heavily bloated. It was mm, exactly. Yeah, but it's uh, maybe also of all, all respect to Klarna. Uh, mm. uh, but it's uh, it's maybe within the, uh, those or it's not within our investment strategy in one way because there are also uh, other solutions than Klarna that you could switch to. But Klarna has have, had a, like amazing growth uh, in the last years, and of course, then it's affected quite a lot if that growth is not uh, proceeding as expected. Mm, exactly, exactly. Um, good. Uh, I think we'll wrap there. Show if you if if you don't have anything important to add to, to our listeners. No, uh, just uh, thanks for for having me. It's been super great to talk about this topic. It's definitely a passionate area of mine. Mm. Thanks, Nina. Cheers. Arma. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the shit? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.